0: This is the How'd You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 28.
1: Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. Greetings
0: ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant and I am uh, just delighted that you're hanging out with us today. Hope you're doing well. Hopefully you're having a great day. Hopefully you're having a a great week. Pretty pumped about life right now. I'm actually getting ready to leave tomorrow. Head down to uh, Dallas for the, uh, the Podcast Movement Conference. Uh, looking forward to that. Just uh, cross paths with a bunch of other podcasters. And uh, just trying to figure out how we can continue to provide value and provide support and encouragement to you and your journey to find and do work you love. So so excited about that. Hey, also, I uh, wanted to just tease to you. we got a lot of great guests coming on. With a lot of good, good, good interviews that we've got lined up over the next several weeks and months. Uh, several of you have emailed and reached out and said, Hey, Ken, you're an entrepreneur and you like interviewing entrepreneurs. Can you get us some more employees? Like people that are just uh, who work in a typical corporate job and like that. And So yeah, we've actually we've got several of those lined up and coming your way. We want to provide really a mix and variety because uh, I'm probably admittedly biased toward being an entrepreneur. But the point of this show is not whether or not you start a business. It's not whether or not you do your own thing. At the end of the day, we hope that you just find and do work you love. And for a lot of people, they're like, I just I like working in a company. I like working. I uh, like working for, in, in a corporate situation. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And so hopefully we can uh, we can provide some some people's stories and journeys who are doing that and loving it. And uh, hopefully you, it will, again, continue to encourage and inspire you on your own journey there. Hey, also uh, at the end of the uh, the show today, I'm going to give you a PDF we put together that you can download. So yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm just going to tease you with that. So make sure you stick around for that. It's really you're, you're going to dig that. I think you're going to like that. Hey, today we're, we're going to be hanging out with my buddy Michael O'Neill, who actually is on, uh, has his own podcast called The Solopreneur Hour. Really good guy. Just a does some really really good interviews I was actually on his show if you want to check that out it's episode 117 with him uh, you can go to grantbaldon.com slash solo and and check that out but you know with, with Michael a couple of quick things we talk about one of the things we talk about is just reverse engineering your life figuring out where where you want to live what kind of life you want to have and then building everything around that he has an attitude of just saying yes and just taking the next logical step and how that's made such a difference for him and how he's bounced back from uh, the devastating loss of his parents in really a, a short period of time so uh, just a lot uh, a lot in his journey that I think you're going to learn from. I think you're going to glean from and I think you're really going to, you're going to dig. So, so thanks for joining us today. Hope you enjoy this episode uh, with Michael O'Neill. Let's get to it. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Here you go. Enjoy. All right. Today, I'm joined by Michael O'Neill of Solopreneur Hour, a booming podcast in the podcast land. Michael, how you doing, man? Dude, I couldn't be better. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome, glad to have you here. So for someone that may not be familiar with you or may just be new to Solopreneur Hour, tell us a little bit more about your podcast, a little bit more about what your overarching business is today.
1: The podcast is a a resource, a, what's the word? An oasis in the desert. An oasis in the desert for people that have found themselves unemployable, which I think more and more of us are becoming. I think in this, this age of very entrepreneurial spirit, People are finding that they have options that they didn't realize out of their nine to five, out of their, their education, You know what they went to school for. And we're starting to see these people that are living these amazing lifestyles remotely. They're working from the coffee shops around the world. And this show highlights those people and then kind of talks about that moment where, between when they became unemployable to what they've done to become successful and i launched it august of 2013 so not too uh, maybe about 10 months ago i guess and it's been amazing. It's been just an amazing ride. It seems like it's an area that people really want to talk about at the moment. Yeah,
0: I like that. I like that that tagline that you use, the job security for the unemployable. Because uh, typically, if someone here is unemployable, it has immediately just a negative connotation. But I like what you've done with it and just kind of turning it on its head. It's like, no, no, no. Like, it's a it's an okay thing. It's in, in some cases, even a good thing to be unemployable. And I know for me, even whenever I came across your stuff and I saw that tagline, that, that was something that immediately resonated with me that the longer you are self-employed, the more you feel like I don't want to work for anybody. And I think and I realize and I'm, I feel like I'm comfortable with the, the fact at this point that I, I think I would make a really crappy employee.
1: It's not that you don't want to. It's just that you can't anymore. It's a it's kind of a point of no return. And I love to use the phrase proudly unemployable because that's what I am. Like I'm I'm very happily I have a, a yellow T-shirt that says I am unemployable on the front. And it's one of the most, if I wear it, it's one of the most sort of the biggest conversation pieces that I have out in public. People are like, what is that? And people really resonate with that idea of being unemployable. And like you said, it being kind of a good thing versus a a stigma.
0: Why do you think that is that so many times that that people have a difficult time accepting that as something that that, it's a good thing and it's okay to be proudly unemployable? Because it does, like just in society and our culture and workplace in general, like it's typically that on the surface sounds like something you wouldn't want to aspire to. So why is it that that's such a difficult thing for people to feel comfortable with?
1: Well, because we spend 18 years going to school to be an employee. And if we are admitting that we cannot be an employee, then we're, we can be ostracized, I think, from society in some ways. Yeah, I mean, that's ultimately it, it comes down to either sort of fitting into that mold that society thinks you should be fitting into or doing your own thing. And sometimes doing your own thing makes them raise their eyebrows a bit.
0: <laughs> well, obviously, the idea of being unemployable isn't something that probably you've always like gravitated towards or felt comfortable in your own skin doing or, or proclaiming. So let's backtrack a little bit. Tell us, born and raised, where are you are from? Give us a quick snapshot of your childhood.
1: I was born in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, lived there until I was about 12. And then uh, my, my parents, my dad moved over to uh, a little town called Yardley, Pennsylvania, when I was about 12 years old. From there, so that was just outside of Philly. And then from there, we bounced down to Florida for a minute. I always like to say I did like a a jail sentence in Florida and then came back. (laughs) Just for a minute. Yeah, just back to Philly, a little bit of Jersey, a little Delaware, a little Brussels, Belgium. Then found my way to Colorado in 97. Was there for about 14 years before moving to San Diego two years ago. Man, you bounced around a lot. What was with all the transitions? Well, most of them were you know, as on my own. Most of them were just me exploring and, gotcha. and, kind of, and, and, and saying yes. I, I'm a big fan of that phrase, is just say yes. And when I remember going from Philly, I visited some friends in Boulder, Colorado, and I was like, what the heck am I doing living in Philly? So I moved there a few months later. Same kind of thing happened from Colorado to San Diego. I came out here an annual like rah-rah event for this company that I was working with. It was like, what the heck am I doing not living in San Diego? And I, when you can, you know, I always like to say there's three pillars. There's time, there's location freedom, there's time freedom, and there's financial freedom. Yeah, The first two are really easy to get. Just quit your job, walk away. Now all of a sudden you've got, boom, you know, you've got time freedom. You have location freedom because you can then go wherever you want to go. What you don't have is financial freedom yet. That's kind of the hard one of the three. But I always feel like go to where you want to be first, right? Like if you want to live by the beach go move by the beach. You know, maybe you won't have any money or just enough to get by or you need to get a roommate for a while, but be there first because then if if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, you're still where you want to be, right? Like you still actually have that location. So if like part of your joy in life is waking up and running on the beach, go to where the beach is first. Right. And then worry about how you're going to sustain yourself. I think what we do in society is we worry way too much about how we're going to survive so we need everything buttoned up before we even decide if we're going to do something or not. And I like to say yes first and worry about the details later. That's yeah. kind of how I, I've always been. And it's always worked out for me that way. So
0: as you're kind of bouncing around, you're trying a couple different places and you're serving your prison sentence from here to there. Are you chasing like career opportunities? Or are you just trying to find yourself or what are you looking for as you're kind of moving
1: around? I mean, honestly, always just looking for where did I want to live. At the time, I was a mountain bike racer. I was working in REI in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's a huge snowboarder, and, and I was like, why am I doing these activities in Pennsylvania when I could be doing these in Colorado, where, like, it's Grand Central for all this stuff? So, So that's what I did. At the time, I was a web guy. So 1994 is when I started doing web and really print design, but mostly web. By 99, I was... Pretty fully fledged as a web designer and a pretty good programmer. I could do PHP and MySQL pretty well. And that was my freelance gig. It was interesting because even within companies, I was always kind of entrepreneurial. I was working for Ski Magazine. Ski and Skiing and Freeze and Skiing Trade News were all under one building. And I was their tech guy. But I was also a guy that was doing a lot of stuff with this sort of newfangled web, you know, putting together gear guides and doing web stuff. So I kind of had two jobs in one. The one was totally unofficial and they were both kind of under the tabley kind of, you know, work 20 hours a week. So by the between the two I had kind of a freelance gig but in one place. Yeah. And I did that until I walked by a um a design agency in Boulder and it, they had this huge banner in the window and it said something like, you know, got web design or something. I'm like, "Oh, I do web design." I didn't know there was other people in Boulder that did those things. So I popped my head in. I was like, hey, let me know if you guys ever need any any web help. And they ended up actually hiring me the next day for like 25 grand more than I was making at the ski place. Sheesh. So yeah, so it was cool. I did that for a couple of years until this this seed was planted. I and mean, while I'm doing that, I'm reading books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and Cashflow Quadrant. And, and the entrepreneurial bug was there. I didn't know much what to do with it. As it turned out, the guy that I was working for was not the most honest person in the world, so I ended up having to leave that job in 2002 due to some, some really unscrupulous things that he was doing, just cooking the books, if you will. Yep. And that started my career. A 2000, Really, 2002 was when I started becoming fully unemployable and uh, – Go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, I was just going to say, so uh, so at the time, you, it sounds like you've done a couple different things. You're doing some of the computer stuff, some of the tech geeky stuff, some of the IT su- support for the magazine. Is that something that you're wanting to do long term? And then you just kind of stumble into the web design because you're just looking for an out or you're looking for an in? Or what? where's kind of your head at, at that point of what you're looking for? Or do you even know what you're looking for?
1: It, it was vice versa. So I i had been doing web stuff since 94. Okay. But the, it was like really cool. I mean, it's cool working for a magazine because you get all kinds of swag and you get all kinds of like, there's events and stuff. You get to go, like we work the, I would work the X Games and, and go and not even work it, but just kind of uh, for them, I would work it. But then I would get to right. hang out with all the athletes and it was cool. So I just took that, the IT gig because I knew all about computers at that time. It was like part of, you know, my my zeitgeist. But yeah, I mean it was like, you know, the, the web thing was always what I did. I loved the fact that I could marry all of the things that I loved together. So it was in fact my company was called World Media, which was W-H-I-R-L-E-D. So like everything was world together. I loved the audio and video and print and visual and everything that you could kind of smush into one web page. And, you know, remember back then that was really innovative, like to get audio on a web page was a big deal right. or to a video or even like a picture that you could click to another page was a big deal. I mean, it was really kind of a, a different world. But so I did that because I knew that that's what would get me in the door. And that's when I started kind of, again, move to where I wanted to move. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was temporarily living in a place um, I can't remember how I met these people. From I think I went in there with a friend of mine, and I and I asked them. I mean, I, I literally I'm like, who takes care of your computers? They have like you know 150 different computers in, in, between three floors, and they didn't have an IT guy except to do it in New York. And so I was like, hey, would you need a guy to come and like help you guys out? And they're like, oh, yes. You know, all the all the editors were like, yes, please. And so I ended up sort of creating that position for myself, and uh, and that's what worked out there. And, and then I went to this design agency and worked for them for three years. Same kind of drill. Like they didn't ever have anybody that was like me. So I had to create my own position and hire people around me just to, to give them like a really great web presence because they didn't have one. So yeah, kind of an entrepreneur within, you know, a, a company. But anyway, what I was going to say is the, I, I left that company a couple of years later and three years after that, I was recruited by a fortune 500 company to be their creative director. And it was like this long, arduous process to get into their company because they were like a, you know, a gazillion dollar company at the time. They'd been in, they'd been funded and all this stuff. That was really the tough one is, as, as I went in there as part of like this startup culture and it was really fun and really great. And a couple months later they got bought out by, you know, a big, you know, $120 million investment or whatever. And the whole culture changed. And I realized, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm I'm clashing mentally with everything anybody tells me because I know it's wrong. Like I re- I'm realizing they're doing it the wrong way. And I, I'm I'm telling them so, and that's pretty much not what you're supposed to do when you work at a company. <laughs> you play by their rules.
0: So at this point, you're you. Sounds like you've done a couple different things. At this point, it sounds like your kind of main bread and butter is just that you enjoy design, you enjoy web, and you kind of you kind of creating this one stop shop or kind of becoming this one stop shop of a of a with a skill set of these are the different things that you can bring to the table. Now it's just a matter of finding where do they best fit and where do they best apply. So you know, doing the the magazine or it sounds like working for this Fortune. 500 company or just trying a few different places and options to just kind of figure out how does it how do all of this marry together that makes the most sense for you
1: yeah and 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 in tr- the truth is i was worried about what i was going to do with my career right around the late 90s because people started getting really specialized you know there was flash guys there was design guys there was programmers and i was like i kind of know a little bit about all that stuff i was i sort of specialized in being a generalist but what what made that cool was that I could then go speak to a client because I really had a, uh, uh, an overarching understanding of brand. That was really the, the big deal is that I understood brand as a whole and how it applied to small businesses, medium businesses, large corporations. So when I would go speak to a client, not so I had this technical side on one side, so I knew like the program side. I had the front end visual side and then I could actually speak like big overarching 20,000 foot view of their company and point them in a direction with different ad campaigns and different sort of marketing campaigns. And that's, I think that was a rarity. And I think that's why that company tried to recruit me. I mean, ultimately did recruit me. That was the first time in corporate America ever that I had asked for a certain amount of money. I think I asked for like 85,000 or something, which was like double what I was making and they were like, yeah, you know, I, we know you asked for this much, but we're going to pay you this much. And it was more than I asked for. That's <laughs> never happened before. I was like, really? You guys don't understand how negotiation works. Does, no. Do that was, wow. That was amazing. But the bottom line was, despite it being, for me, a pretty cushy gig, a single dude making six figures in Boulder. You know, I, I owned a house and owned a couple of cars, and it was like this great thing. I was miserable. I mean, I would dread going into work because – I had this woman that I was directly reporting to that was useless. I mean, she was a useless middle manager, didn't know anything about anything, but really loved the fact that she could hear herself speak and and sort of direct people. And we, were, we would just look at each other like, you know, me and the other employees would look at each other like, are we really going to have to do this? Because we were all sort of, there. these were people that I hired. So they were all like, they were all sort of like minded. And we were like, oh, OK, all right, we'll go do this meeting then.
0: So how long yeah. do you put up with that before? Because I think there's 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 they, plenty we put up
1: with each other for one year.
0: Because there's so many people that that are in a similar spot that would be thinking that listen to you know this show and your show and, and are going, okay, I, I'm in a well-paying job. It's not that difficult of a job. It's not that fulfilling, but it's stable, it's secure. So I guess I just, I guess this is it. I just tolerate and put up with a boss that I don't like. And I don't see eye to eye with, and I I don't see, I don't think is necessarily even confident for the position, but again, it's stable, secure, it's safe. I get it six figures. So I'll just tolerate it. Like why, what, I guess what clicks for you that just a year into it that you're like, okay, screw this. I cannot, I literally cannot do this anymore. What was it that changed in your own mind? Well, first of all, you
1: know that you're on the right track when I I used to have the CEO would come into my office often and he would just talk with me and ask me about the the company and and this is like a big, real company and he would ask me things about it and then I got, the day before I made my, my first house payment, I got fired, but really I'd clocked out six months before that, it was like we were both sort of going through the motions, so I, I didn't really like get fired fired, but I got they were reorganizing and I got downsized or whatever, but I had like a three month severance, so it was like a fine. I' fine okay, see you later. I think stability and, and uh, safety are, are maybe a little overrated. I think that anesthetize our that that spirit that makes our country so innovative because we're sort of in that really safe uh, place, and when things go down you've got to get your hustle gene on. And those things that happen, you know, think about this, someone gets laid off, they get fired or whatever that now becomes, and let's say they can't find some work quickly. So then they go, okay, well, maybe I should try this thing. And this thing has been sitting there festering for five years. They've, they've had this idea and no one else has done it yet. And they go, okay, I'm going to give this a try. What do you think, honey? We've got enough for three months to, to live on. Should I give this? And and then your husband or wife says, "Yeah, let's go for it," and then it turns into a, a big thing that's how a lot of businesses start, and then you you know your only regret is not doing it a year prior, right so I think we're in that sort of safety zone sometimes longer than we should be that we can probably we can probably jump out of it and and have a lot of success, but I think you have to shore up your mindset first and believe that you can do that kind of thing,
0: yeah, and I think there's so many people that you and I both talk to and know that would say that being laid off or being let go or being fired was the best thing that ever happened to them. Now, in the moment, you're like, holy crap, what am I going to do now? And how do I find the next deal? Because again, like you're just kind of saying, you just kind of go into survival mode. Like at the end of the day, I still, I want to eat. I want to live indoors. I, I have to have a paycheck from somewhere, but that really forces your hand to that thing that you've been tinkering with or chewing on or playing with in the back of your mind for so long. Now you have the ability and the bandwidth to actually do that. So what People do in that interim is so so pivotal because it's either that kind of fight or flight of well now I'm going to just figure out how to make it happen on my own or it's the flight of well I guess I'm going to just start putting out more resumes again and it sounds like at that point your head is like okay I'm going to give I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm going to give something a shot uh, beyond just going back into another corporate
1: gig is that right yeah I just went into like I was just I just became a freelancer again I was just a I was a freelancer successful freelancer you know, I was just working from my couch and these guys got me off my couch. And so I, I did that already. And then that was it. You know, they they sort of put me back out into that world and I said, okay. And I just went back out and did what I was doing before. But I actually had evolved it a little bit because as a freelancer, again, not scalable, right? If I'm doing web design, I was that's mostly what it was. It was cranking out websites for small businesses. So three to $5,000 websites, which is so funny. I look back now at what that budget was, $1,500 to $3,000. I could have charged so much more back then for the work I was doing. But that was a case of me not completely understanding my value yet, which again is something we all struggle with as, as independent people. And I just did that for a couple of years before the, the bottom kind of dropped out. And, and then that really began this current evolution that I'm in.
0: So you're doing web design as a freelancer for a few years. What was the bottom that dropped out for you where put you back at the drawing board?
1: Well, both my parents ended up getting very sick and passing away within seven months of each other. And I had uh, they were they were sort of sick in the U.S. health in the U.S. healthcare system for four years. And it completely bankrupted me. I lost my house and two cars because my life was like mom falls and breaks her hip, needs 24 days of rehab. Insurance pays for 10. It's two thousand dollars a day you know, and that was the choices we had. It was my my brother and I, and those were sort of the choices we had. And between that and the fact that it was so, what's the word? It was so sort of chaotic and upsetting to schedules, you know, having like they were in Florida. So I was back and forth to Florida. And when you're a freelancer, especially like a web kind of guy, you've got to build out for a couple of months. You have to know what your schedule is going to be. So you sure. can 'Cause these projects then weren't like today, because what everything wasn't built in WordPress like it is now. So, you know, when you did a, a site that had some kind of database driven content where someone would click, you know, click a link and then get a, a list or another page that was sort of a dynamically served page, you had to build all that. You had to build the MySQL database and all the PHP programming and all that stuff to make that work. So websites took like one to three months to get done instead of now you can crank them out in an afternoon. And that I ended up after all of this time, my, my dad passed away in December, 2006. My mom, like I said, was about seven months later and dad was not a surprise. He had congestive heart failure. Mom was a huge surprise and it really just, you know, decimated me. It was just absolutely devastating financially, devastating emotionally, uh, relationships. I mean, everything was broken And I really went into a tailspin of just trying to survive. And it always reminds me of that first scene from Saving Private Ryan, where there was a guy who's just sort of wandering around and looking around, and all of his friends have just died, and he doesn't know what just happened. He hasn't even processed it yet. And that's kind of where I was in 2008. I was just sort of in this weird mode. I would end up eventually, and this is interesting to me, that I met a guy who had really triggered me. He wrote something in an email to me. He was a friend of a friend and I, it seemed to me like he, maybe he was wealthy or he had some kind of influence. I wasn't sure, but I'd only spoken to him over email and he wrote something. And this is a very key phrase. He wrote something. He like, yeah, I made my fortune in the cable industry. And that phrase, I made my fortune, isn't something people say when they're sort of nouveau rich. You don't say you made a fortune. Like if you're a successful dentist, and you right. make $300,000 a year. That's not the right word or vernacular for that phrase. And so I thought, this is interesting. And I thought, I think, well, if this guy has done this well, maybe I can pick up some work. You know, I was, in, I was fully back in an employee mode. I was like, maybe I can, he can hire me because I was out of money. I mean, I had no money. Maybe he can hire me and he can help me out kind of thing. And we ended up meeting and it was really funny. I walked into his place in Denver. He had this sort of penthouse above McCormick and Schmitz in Denver. And I met him for the first time. He's like older. He's in his 60s wearing pajama bottoms, a Abercrombie and Fitch football jersey. And he's got long gray hair and this long beard. And he walks (laughs) in and he says, he says, welcome, wait right here. Like he has that sort of aloofness that a rich guy sometimes has. Yeah. And he walks out and I look to my left and on the, the wall was him with Carter, him with Reagan, him with Bush, him with Clinton, him with Bush those were five pictures or whatever that were just sitting like either on the golf course or at a dinner or whatever. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah, no kidding. And as it would turn out, this is a super long story short, but he, he is essentially the guy that, um, I, he said, well, I made my fortune in the cable industry. Right. And I studied the cable industry in college. I was in broadcasting telecommunications and mass media. So I studied all about the cable industry and, He essentially worked for Time Warner in the 70s, and he and another friend patented the technology for, they thought, well, you know, if you can maybe somehow beam a television signal to a satellite and then back down again so you can watch it in another part of the planet. And I thought, well, that's how television works. And that's what he does. That was his. So when when you watch TV, he gets a fraction of a penny somewhere in the world. There's a lot of TVs that people are watching. a lot of TVs. So he's got, you know, legit infrastructure wealth and best friends with Ted Turner for 50 years. I mean, he's just really like this huge influential guy. And, but, but the point of the story is that he could have, at a millisecond, could have said, here, have a quarter of a million dollar, you know, per year gig at, the, at Company X. And he actually offered me something like that. He flopped a big contract down in front of me. And we had just met. But I think he saw something. And he said, and, I, and it was something I wasn't interested in. And in an industry I wasn't interested in. And he goes, you know, nine out of 10 people would have taken that right away. They would have been grateful for it. Why didn't you? I said, it's just not my, it's not my thing. And he goes, that's why you're going to be successful. And he said, look, Michael, I want to help you. But you've had so much chaos in your life over the last four years that you haven't even had a chance to mourn. And right when he said that, it triggered in my brain, oh, my dad died. And oh, yeah, my mom died. and I, and, and I hadn't even... Processed it yet? It yeah. was in total survival. And so I lost it. I'm right on his couch. And I, one of my goals as a successful quote unquote human was that I wanted to, my dad was the kind of guy that would drive across country in a Winnebago, but wouldn't jump on a flight to Paris for six hours. So I wanted to surprise him with a trip to Europe. And that second on this guy's couch is when I decided I was going to get a little Italian Parmesan cheese shaker and get their ashes and go to Europe for a few months. And that's what I did. So I, I went to Brussels, like I said, and spread their ashes. I mean, they're on the beaches of Normandy. They're in the Sistine Chapel. And sometimes I had to go like a little Shawshank Redemption with it because you're not allowed to spread ashes in the Sistine Chapel. <sighs> but I ended up 2009, exactly five years ago, right in the beginning of June. And I'd landed on my connecting flight from Brussels back to Boulder. I landed in D.C. and I had $14 and not like, hey, I better go hit the ATM, you know, but I had $14. And when I was sitting on my brother's guest bed that night, it was like, okay, then what happens? And that began, like I knew what I didn't want to do, which is work an hour for a dollar, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And that sort of began the journey of the last five years.
0: That's crazy, man. And it sounds like obviously, you know, what happened with your, with your parents is, it sounds like it just affected every part of your world, you know, and it was more than just kind of this emotional grieving period. But it was, I feel like I'm, as, as a human, I'm just back to the drawing board of, of what do I do now? And how do I pick up the pieces? And how do I, like how do I move forward and who is it that I want to become and what kind of work do I want to do and what kind of dent do I want to make on this planet with this you know, this shot at life that I've got. It sounds like that's right. really that's kind of where your head was at, like just reevaluating everything like top to bottom.
1: Yeah, and, and, and that's exactly right. It, it was the, the sort of gravitas of what, what is, is, is my dream gig getting a six-figure blah, blah, blah at some company? No, never again. Like I, I committed that day that I would never do that again and I haven't. And that's when I decided I needed to get, you know, I I moved from Boulder to Denver. So it was a change of venue. And it actually ended up, and I still wasn't happy because it was a graveyard for me. That whole area was just associated with a lot of negative, negative stuff. So that's when the San Diego thing happened. That's when I decided that living where I wanted to live and... Working the way I wanted to work was paramount in my life, would trump everything else, way over money. And then so I got the first two things sorted out, the first two pillars of time freedom and location freedom. And because I, I think time freedom is the number one freedom. I think being able to go where you want, when you want to, is, is the best possible and you can do that on the cheap or you can do that you know first class
0: yeah i like so. the way that you set that up too because there's so many people that would just do that completely opposite of i have to find the job and then regardless of where the job is even if it's in middle of nowhere podunk world uh, usa right. and i'm gonna hate it well that's okay because at least i'm getting the paycheck but i location, like the way location, you location location yeah yeah i like the way that you've, you've approached that of, of just going no no no. like i'm gonna reverse engineer it. like what kind of life do i want to have? at the end of the day, like Stephen Covey says, just beginning with the end in mind and going, what what kind of life do I want to create? What does that end result look like? Okay, now let's work back and start finding some pieces that align with that right. rather than, you know, well, here's my existing circumstances. So how do I make the best out of a miserable situation that I, I hate and I don't want to be in?
1: Yeah. And I, I think you'll find too that there's people in the world that are more than willing to help. Now that we have things like Facebook and we have Sites like couchsurfing.org. I mean, I couch surfed all around Europe for four months. I paid for two hotel rooms in four months. And there's ways to do it that will be revealed to you once you've made the decision to do it. So a lot of people are listening and thinking, I've always wanted to live in XYZ. Get over there. Put your stuff in storage. If you have kids, figure out where the schools are and move. You know, get a little crummy apartment for a month-to-month apartment for a few months. You don't have to have everything perfect. You have to just get there and then go, okay, so now I'm here. i got the hard part taken care of. Let me up-level my life as I go. Right. And that's kind of what I did.
0: How did the the podcast come to be? Because obviously that's kind of the bread and butter of your business right now, and that's what, what you how you would describe yourself. So how did that come into the picture?
1: I ended up, uh, again, one of the, my favorite phrases is yes. So I like to say yes first and figure out what what the you know fallout is going to be after. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't know what I I knew what I didn't want to do. And I had read a book, The E Myth Revisited, uh, yep. by Michael Gerber, one of the one of the best. I, I still think that if I was uh, if I were interviewing five hundred millionaires in a room, and I said, "What book was most influential to your career?" That most hands would go up for The E Myth Revisited. Yeah, totally um, agree. And I'd read that, and it really triggered something for me as far as the the word franchise, and it really uh, the. Sort of, If you've read any of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, you know that he's a big fan of network marketing. Yep. And I always was kind of like, yeah, whatever. But weirdly, when I'd come back from Europe, I had been exposed to, like I'd met this woman, Autumn, who was really super successful with a company called Arbon. And then a couple of my really good friends had gotten involved with another company. I'm like, huh, oh, this is interesting. Why, why now? And one of their events was coming up in Anaheim the next week. I, I had no money. I had no idea how I was going to do it. But I said, yeah, let's do it. And it figured out. It figured out. I figured out a way to get there and and make it happen. And I ended up thinking, all right, what's this product and how do I sell it? Because you know, if I'm into it as an industry, I can pretty much sell any product and figure it out. But I ended up getting this unbelievable weekend of like family and community, and I had no idea how much I craved that. I needed it. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that began a three-year association with this company where I. Kick butt right at the beginning because I knew so much about social media and and brand and psychology of sales, so I was able to, what I consider correctly promote my business on Facebook, which a lot of people weren't doing in two thousand nine yet, right? And uh, not correctly anyway, and I became very successful quickly at it. So successful that I was pulled aside in one of the big annual rah-rah events and they said, hey, we've been watching what you've been uh, doing with social media. Would you be willing to share that with the rest of the field? And I said, sure. So we created this thing called the Social Media Roadshow and I went to 17 different cities and I started training. That's when my real speaking career started was I started training network marketers on how to use social media to grow their businesses correctly. And I loved it. Like, I loved it. So I really became the social media guy. I became, like, you know, when I would go to an event, I would get stopped in the room and there would be 15 people, like, asking me questions about stuff. And so I was, like, a, a D-level, D, probably Z-level celebrity. And so one of the main guys in the company, he's, like, their, their VP of personal development because there's a lot of personal development that happens in network marketing companies he sent me a message once and he said hey i've got this youtube question can you answer it for me and i said dude we've got to really work on your brand because he's an amazing speaker but he's this huge fish in this teeny little pond and i said we got to really work on you know expanding your brand globally he said how do we do that and i've been a podcast fan since i was like i mean since 2006 or so listening to like ricky gervais and and this week in tech and things like that yeah and he goes, How do we do that? And I go, well, How about a podcast? And he said, What's a podcast? And I'm like, That's like a radio show, but it's like on, you know, an iPhone. So we started Kick Ass Life with David Wood. I launched that whole platform and the brand and all the design. And I, you know, he, he pretty much spoke into the mic and I did everything else. So we did that starting May of 2012 is when that started. And then this other one that I produced called The Mechanic to Millionaire, which is another guy that was in the company that literally was a Honda mechanic. And now uh is a multimillionaire, and so I was sort of the guy in my business at the time. I was thinking, okay, I'm gonna do podcast production and like full setup for speakers, for like really successful speakers. So I talked to Jack Canfield and I talked to john Assaraf and and uh, this guy David, and you know all these people that were doing really well, and I was getting three to ten thousand dollars per client and I would just go and completely set them up soup to nuts with like a studio and teach them how to use a mic and how to use the gear. And then I would take care of everything else. They would talk, do what they do. And then I would take care of all the production and the publishing and all that stuff. He did that for about a year and a half. And David was a guy who traveled a lot. So he was all, we, we prided ourselves at doing shows from like 10 different countries and he was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and he was totally off the radar uh, we couldn't reach them, and we needed a show. A show must go on. You know, it's showbiz. So yeah. I decided that I would step in and I would do a show on social media. I would do a little social media training show. And I did that, and a couple things happened. One, I found it insanely easy. I was like, huh, okay, I guess I can do this. And not just easy to speak, but easy to transition between topics, uh, easy to integrate you know, web URLs and things like that. Oh yeah, guys, if you want to check this out, make sure you go to blah 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 dot com. And it was really easy. It was just almost, came naturally. Was very naturally. And so that happened while I was actually physically recording it. And then after I published it, I got so much feedback. Like, dude, that was great. You should do this. And so that really planted the seed last probably about maybe a little little over a year ago. And then I had lunch with a guy named Pat Flynn, who's um he has a company, SmartPassiveIncome.com. I don't know if your listeners know him yet. A lot of people do. Yeah. A lot of people don't. But he lives in San Diego. And um, here in San Diego, like they hand you a podcast mic and a BMW. That's what they do when you move here. There's a lot of you they, out there. They're like, you're a podcaster now. And so we had lunch, and Pat and I were just hanging out and having lunch at this place in, uh, right here in North Park, where I live in San Diego. And we had a great time just talking about our lives and our girlfriends and wives and guy stuff and fashion and whatever. And he left. We were walking away and he said, dude, I never get to do that. Thank you for that. That was, a, that was an amazing, like all I get to do is talk about online business. So I never get to just hang out and talk about stuff like this. So that was great. And I thought, hmm, what an interesting idea for a show is to bring people on like Pat and talk about like almost everything else but their business. And um, just had that, that light bulb moment. Yeah, and that really—I had had a online. I still have this online training course that that's meant for you know network marketers to be better social media people. But then it evolved earlier last year, like in May of last year, into solopreneurs instead of just network marketers. And when that phrase was bouncing around in my head for a while, as was unemployable, so I had no idea what I was going to do with it, but. From that, the solopreneur hour was born. And it was, it literally came to me when I was riding my bike. I was just sort of like riding home and I was like, oh, that's a solopreneur hour. And I ran right in and checked and see to see if GoDaddy was available. As we and all do. The first thing you do, right? <laughs> ah! And then I, and I checked and it was available on all the social media stuff. And so now it's amazing. If you look for solopreneur on Google, I'm everywhere. Like it's the whole, I, it's, I've almost owned the phrase at the moment. Which is cool for me. I'll yeah, take super it. cool. I'll take. I'll take ownership. But that's what happened. Is the show launched then August of 2013, and we are rapidly approaching our millionth download. Nice. Uh, which will happen next month. That's awesome, man. I like the way
0: you, you set that up too. Uh, really, it sounds like so much of of your journey to arrive at where you are today has come from a few things. Come from saying yes. And just, I'm yeah. going to just try this, you know, this, uh, I'm going to, the, the show must go on. So I'm going to hop on the mic here and try this and wow, I get really good feedback. So let's take the next logical step and maybe try it right. from this angle. And, uh, so saying yes, uh, I like what you've done of just like reverse engineering your life of going, what kind of life ultimately at the end of the day, do I want to, do I want to have, if I want to live by the beach and go for a run each morning or go for a bike, uh, near the beach, then it doesn't make any sense to be living in, in Kansas right now. So right. let's shift and pivot and head that direction and begin to figure things. Some things out from there, uh, and the, I, I like even just some of the the people that you 've reached out to, so you know reaching out to someone like Pat, reaching out to that that multi gajillionaire in denver of just like i 'm just going to like make a contact, worst they can say is no, but i 'm just going to at least Try to reach out and try to connect with them, and we'll we'll see if it opens the door. Great if it doesn't, great. But I'm gonna at least say yes to the opportunity and, and try something. And just some of those like little things that people do, or sometimes people that that don't do, and they just miss out on just the culmination of all of these pieces come together and create ultimately what would be you know your journey to the point that it is today.
1: Yeah, and I have a cool little location hack that I that I came up with a few years ago that has really served me. And that is if let's say you you you, let's say you work from home or you have a little side project and, you know, you want to be, you know, you are some you thankfully you're you know, you work remotely somehow. Right. Or you have even on the weekends, it doesn't you don't have to be doing a job like this yet. You could be after hours or it could be on the weekend when you work for yourself. One of the worst things you can do is work from your own house. You have to, if you want opportunity, opportunity rarely comes to your front door and knocks. I on occasion it does. But generally, when people are really well-to-do, like this guy, right? This guy didn't, we'd only met for about 20 minutes when he would already had recognized that I had potential, right? So people that are wealthy, they instantly recognize uh, hustle, Right. and they recognize when someone else has whatever that it factor is, it doesn't take long for them to go, oh, like you You watch American Idol. You don't need to hear a whole song to hear if somebody can rip. Like It's like, okay, I've heard three words, and they're in. Right. I, I don't need any more than that. And that's how it is when I think you're, you're uh, cultured in this area where, like if you are really successful, you've spent so much time with other successful people, you just see it. And so what I would do, is even if I had no money, I would go always to the nicest part of town where I lived. In Denver, it was Cherry Creek, and here it's La Jolla or Del Mar or whatever. And I'd bring my laptop to that Starbucks. I wouldn't go to the crappy one on the other side of the tracks. I would, I would go to the nicest areas, and I have had more unbelievable conversations with, like, not only fascinating people, but really, really successful people and opportunities that come from those conversations by doing either the coffee shop approach like that or even moreover, going to a really high-end hotel bar or whatever, like a high-end bar in your area. You bring your laptop there during happy hour and you grab a glass of wine and you hang out, you're on the bar and you're working with your laptop. And I know it's chaotic, I get it, it's a little loud, you will have at least five people come up to you and go, what are you working on? What's, what, what is that? And those five people are going to be people that are wondering why this person is in the middle of a – you're going to be intriguing enough to them to go, why is that person doing that? I'm interested in that person. And opportunity will come. And I hear it all the time from my listeners because they're like, oh, I did this thing in the hotel and this guy came up and now I'm going to go to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Boom. There you go. Especially if you're wearing your proudly unemployable shirt. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> it's well, a good no, conversation it's, it's, starter. It's, it's, it's goodwill hunting is what it is. There you go. <laughs> you know, he, could have been a, he could have been a janitor at any school in the world. He decided to be there at the most prestigious technical college in the world. Right. You know, and so that's, that's what you do. You find your MIT to work at, and that's, uh, that's how opportunity finds its way to you quicker.
0: Michael O'Neill, beautiful stuff, man. Thanks for the uh, opportunity to just to uh, chat and uh, share this conversation and uh, share life. So for people that are more interested in finding out more about the podcast, what you do, and, and I know you've got something called Solo Lab. So uh, where do we find all information about all of this stuff?
1: People can't spell pre-newer, so I, I shorten the URL to solohour.com. And uh, you can definitely find the uh yeah, you can find everything there. Sololab is I want sololab.com. I have a basically a group mastermind of people that i that they can join it's it's very affordable, and we do a bunch of Google hangouts every week, and I do one on one calls with them to coach, and people are cranking they're they are going from not knowing what the heck they're doing to like, how did you get into that? You speak to that? It's like. Wow, all of a sudden you're doing this as a podcast, you're doing this as a business or a, a sales page or whatever, and that's what people are doing in solo Lab. It's great. Cool. Way to go, man. Keep killing it. So thanks,
0: thanks. for the time, man, and uh, we'll look to talk to you again real soon. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, Grant. You bet, buddy. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, Michael O'Neill of the Solopreneur Hour and just a, a fascinating story and journey. And really just some massive ups and massive downs that he's had in, in his journey. And, and I think that's the case with all of us. We all have those massive ups and those massive downs, those days where you just feel like you're on top of the mountain. And then there's days where you're just like, <laughs> life sucks today. And one of the things that, that I think we can all understand and acknowledge is that, that life isn't fair. You know, And there, there's days that suck and days that are miserable, days that you're questioning, why am I doing this? And one of the things I, I fully believe is no matter how much you enjoy Enjoy what it is that you do. There's no such thing as a perfect job out there. You may love 80, 85, 90% of what you do, but there's still going to be that 15, 10% where you're just like, ah, oh, I wish, I wish I didn't have to do this. Just, just know that there's no such thing as a perfect job. And anybody that you listen to on the show, even myself, I really love what I get to do. I love my life. I wouldn't trade my life or my work with anybody. I really dig it. But there's always going to be parts of it that, that you, you just don't enjoy, that you just don't like. And so just let that be an encouragement to you that you're never going to find that perfect gig out there. It does not exist. So stop overthinking it, Stop overanalyzing it. It's going to be OK, boys and girls. Hey, uh, if you enjoyed everything that we discussed today, make sure that you check out uh, grandbaldo.com/michael O'Neill. and uh, you can download the show notes and, and links everything that we discussed there. Hey, the thing that I teased to you up top there. Michael's been really, really good about just connecting with influencers, connecting with people that uh, he's wanting to to build relationships with and learn from. And so uh, we've taken the top 10 tricks and tips and strategies and all that stuff that I've learned just from connecting with people and building relationships with influencers and people that I wanted to meet. So we put that in together in a PDF that you can download for free. All you got to do is text the word grant B, all one word there, my first name and last, uh, let's see here, first initial of last name, that would be correct. So grant B, G-R-A-N-T. T grant b the letter b and you can text that to 50500 again that's 50500 so if you are on your mobile device right now pull over on the side of the road if you're at the gym pull that out there text that grant b to 50500 make sure you you check that out all right that's going to wrap up this episode hey again as always thanks for listening thanks for, for tuning in really really appreciate it if there's anything we can do feel free to email me anytime love 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 hearing from you guys love hearing what you're working on what you're pondering what you're kicking around what are you wrestling with how can i help you on your journey to find and do work you love so email me anytime grant dot GrantBaldwin.com. that's definitely uh, okay to do uh, also feel free to uh give me a shout on twitter uh, at grant baldwin you can uh, find me there all right that wraps up uh, this episode thanks for joining us today we will talk to you again real soon peace out
1: Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.